My name is Ray Glee. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship. Great to have you with us. If you're here for the first time, here in this room, online, at Platinum, Platinum for Kids, woo, there's so many, and we'll hear more about that a little bit later. But if you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you, because we love it. You know, as uh, Andre had said so beautifully, we are a church for all people where God welcomes all people to come to him and uh, enter into a relationship with him. We've been journeying our way through the Lord's Prayer, and, um, and I, I came across this quote by Larry David, a, a comedian who said this about prayer. I would submit prayer is, a, is as big a waste of time as watching the Kardashians. I would submit prayer is as big a waste of time as watching the Kardashians. Now, if you're more offended for the Kardashians at this point, we might need to see you afterwards. Uh, but there's a man who neither knows God nor the power of the resurrection. Um, and so what we do know, it's often been said, there are no atheists in foxholes in a war zone. When the bullets are, are shooting past you, everyone is shooting prayers up to God because they know at that point they can't fake it. They need him. But the question is, how do we pray? Who do we pray to? You know, uh, when the apostles came to Jesus, they didn't ask him, Lord, how do you turn water into wine? That's a cool trick. What they said is, can you teach us how to pray? And he said, pray like this. Why don't we say together the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. It can actually be evil or evil one, by the way, but, but that's for the last of our set of six talks. You'll notice the, uh, the prayer is addressed to God, our Father. He's our dad. But he's not just a dad who's warm and friendly. He's in heaven, which means he's ruling. You're not wasting your time praying. Larry David got it wrong. And in this prayer, there are six requests. The first three focus on God, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And it's a reminder to us, is it not? It's not about you. And it's certainly not about me. Okay. The second three requests are about our physical and spiritual needs, which means we matter to God. Isn't that lovely? It's not about you, but you matter to God. That's the Lord's Prayer. And as we look at it, we discover that before it's about me, though, it's about he. Um, and everyone, I think, needs to, in our Christian life, develop what's called a spiritual Copernican revolution. Copernicus was a Polish astronomer who, in the 16th century, worked out that the sun doesn't orbit the earth, because it looks like it, doesn't it? But that the earth, and there's a lovely picture there, the earth orbits the sun, that we need to understand that in our prayer life, God is the center of the story, and we're not the main character of our life, though we do matter to God, that our prayers need to be much more God-centered, jealous for God's kingdom, his name, his honor, before it's about us. And that's why I think the phrase, your kingdom come, is probably the hardest one to understand. So you need to put on your thinking hats today because we're going to think through what it means for the kingdom of God to come. What do we mean by the kingdom of God? 
Clearly, it's a problem because whenever anyone asks for prayer, they ask for a job, for relationships, for, for health, very important. But no one ever comes asking, look, can you pray that God's kingdom will come in my life and in the life of others? So let's see. What do we mean by the kingdom of God? Let's pick it up in Matthew 4, verse 17. We read, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Why don't you join me with it? Saying uh, the words of Jesus, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is exactly the same phrase. It's just different words. It means exactly the same thing. And the point is, it has come with the coming of Jesus. It means this, that God has begun a revolution (laughs) that he is taking charge of a world back from those who have defied him. He is reclaiming his authority in this earth from those who have rebelled against him. And the kingdom of God has been a long time coming. When you picture the whole of the Old Testament, it's been predicted again and again until finally it came with Christ. Uh, Ever since Adam and Eve listened to Satan and rebelled against God, what had happened from that moment was that Satan became the prince of this world and we were born into the kingdom of darkness. And, uh, and finding ourselves there, God set in motion, the moment Adam and Eve rebelled, God set in motion this extraordinary plan to bring his kingdom on earth. And so in Genesis 3.15, it's the first of the promises picturing the kingdom of God coming. And this is what God says to Satan, the serpent. I, God, will put enmity, hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. So there's three things we learn about the coming kingdom. Number one, God's going to take back control from Satan. From the very beginning, that was on the agenda. Two, God will do it through a human, not an angel, someone from Eve. And three, it will involve a death, death blow to uh, the heart of darkness. Already from the very beginning then, we know that the cross was on God's view. It wasn't plan B. God always knew it was going to happen. And what we discover here is we know the kingdom of God has arrived. Why? Because the king has arrived. And who's that? Jesus. And who's that? Jesus. Oh, one more time with much more vigor. And who's that? Oh, yes. Remember, the shouter you loud, the more empowered I am as a preacher. So it's it's to your advantage. (laughs) But it's certainly an encouragement to me. God's kingdom has come, and it has come with power with the coming of the king. Look at Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, finish the sentence, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Have you ever wondered why there is so much demonic activity in the ministry of Jesus, but there's not a lot of demon possession in the Old Testament? Some, but not a lot. There's not even a lot after. It's there, but not, a, not the amount that, that took place in, in the Gospels. You know why? Because Satan knew that his enemy had arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. He knew that God had made the world for his son and not for him, and he knew his days were now numbered. Whenever the demons in people saw Jesus coming, they were what? Terrified. And what did they do? They would beg Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. And wherever Jesus went, he dragged a bit of the kingdom of heaven wherever he went. Look at Matthew 9.35. 
Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Jewish churches, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing how many diseases and sicknesses? How many? Think about that. When you and I pray for healing, sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says not yet, and sometimes he says my grace is sufficient for you. With Jesus, 100% success rate. (laughs) He was so powerful. And the signs and wonders of Jesus that he performed did at least two things. Number one, they showed he was absolutely in charge. He really was the king of kings. Take for, take for example, when he was on the boat with the disciples, he's asleep. They're caught in this storm. It must have been bad because these were fishermen and they thought they were going to die. So they wake up Jesus and they say to him, don't you care? Which I think is a very odd thing to say to Jesus. And then, and then they say, do something. And he looks at the wind and the waves and the storm and he says, be still. Be quiet. And immediately the wind and the waves collapse into ideal lake conditions. Whoa. And they say to each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I'll tell you who he is. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's who he is. Absolutely in charge, number one. He's the king. But secondly, you discover that the signs and wonders are like a sneak preview, a little snapshot of when the kingdom will come in full. You know when that day will come? when there'll be no more crying or grief or pain. That day will come when there'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more Satan. Bring it on, Lord. Perfect one day, perfect the next. And then the parables of Jesus' kingdom teaches us that the kingdom comes, it comes in mystery. It comes uh, with, um, uh, I've lost my point here, that's it. It comes in such a way that it is so precious you give up everything for it. And it comes with much growth. It starts off as a incy-wincy mustard seed. Go and buy a mustard seed today. They're very small. And it will grow, the kingdom of God will grow into this massive tree, says Jesus. It starts off with one old Iraqi pensioner, senior citizen called Abraham. It will end up including all the nations of the world. It's a kingdom that's growing. Um, Look at verse 8, Matthew 8, verse 11. I say to you, says Jesus, that many will come from the east and the west. That's us. And will take their place at the feast. It'll be party time then. With who? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know, the job of history is to record... Uh, human kingdoms, you know, and, um, and to tell their story. So I googled, you know, uh, history books of the great kingdoms of the world and, you know, Egypt and Rome and the Incas of South America and, um, and, and, and the English Empire and so for the British Empire. And what you notice they all have in common. On the screen are the, are, are the names of the books. Can we have it on the screen? Yeah. What did, have you noticed the titles of all these empires? The rise and the fall. <laughs> it's not the rise, it's the rise and the fall. Not so with the kingdom of God. You've got rise, rise and rise again. Why? Because it is a kingdom not of this world. It's a kingdom that will never end. Um, you know, take the, the British Empire. You know, it was so big, 
that they said the sun never sat on it. Uh, you know, there was no setting of the sun on it. It covered the whole globe one way or another. Now, the British can't win the World Cup. I mean, the rise, the fall. What are you going to do? I'm an Australian. I'm allowed to make fun of the British because they make fun of us. <laughs> to enter this kingdom is to enter into eternal life itself. And to enter into this kingdom, you need to repent and believe. But to repent and believe, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. You know, uh, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. I come only contributing to the problem. I need a saviour to save me. And the king of this kingdom has redefined what greatness is all about. Greatness in this kingdom, unlike all the other kingdoms of the world, is about serving. Think about the king that we worship. He is a servant king. He came not to be served. Really? Yes. But to serve, to serve you and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus paid the debt he didn't know. That debt has been paid in full. Thank you, Jesus. And where is Jesus enthroned? In a palace? At a cathedral? No, on a cross. And above him, and it wasn't a coincidence, were the words, this is the king of the Jews, reminding us that the king of Israel is the king of all the earth. And that king was found on a cross paying the price for our sins in our place. You know, at the cross, God revealed the glory of his rule and his kingdom. And you can see it. His kingdom was so just that Jesus would not forgive one of your sins without first taking the punishment for your sins upon himself so that you won't have to pay for it. His kingdom was so loving that he would lay down his life, not for his friends, but for his enemies, us, so that we could be his friends. This kingdom was so wise, so wise that Satan, just when Satan thought he had the victory at the cross, that was his greatest loss and his greatest failure, where he was stripped of all his weapons, where as the serpent he had the fangs taken out. In Australia, we, 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 we proudly uh, boast of the fact that we, I think we've got the, you know, the worst, deadliest snakes in the world. You know, but a snake is only dangerous if you've got fangs. If you've got no fangs, they, they're just they're just a plaything, right? And uh, and Satan is not terrifying once you know he has been defanged at the cross. He can't accuse you anymore. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You know what people want is a kingdom without a king. That's the modern world's problem. We want a kingdom of love and peace. We just don't want the Prince of Peace telling us what to do. Or we want a king, but we want a king without a cross. So that when Peter discouraged Jesus from going to the cross, um, and uh, Jesus' response was so sharp, he flipped back and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. We're not on the same agenda. I'm interested in the kingdom coming, and that kingdom's gonna end at, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to end in this earth at the foot of the cross. And so we who are in the kingdom, we now live in a kingdom that is both now and not yet. You know, in this age, sin is forgiven. Hallelujah. God will remember our sins no more. But in the age to come, sin will be no more. You won't, not only will you not sin in the new creation, you can't sin. It's hard to get your head around that one. 
In this age, death has been defeated when Jesus rose from the dead. But in the age to come, death will be destroyed. You'll never be enslaved to the fear of death again. In this age, the devil has been disarmed and defanged. In the age to come, the devil will be decimated and thrown into the pit. He won't be causing any more trouble. In this age, Jesus came in humility. In the age to come, he comes riding a white horse and on his thighs are tattooed the words, King of King, Lord of Lords, with a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Friends, this is not the king you want to mess with. What did Jesus say? What good is it to gain the whole world, you know, get it right on every decision, build your kingdoms, you know, right, right spouse, right uh, job, right investments, right uh, relationships, right everything, and forfeit your soul. Jesus says, what can a person give in exchange for their soul? See, what's the most important thing you have? It's you. <laughs> and he's saying, don't blow it. You've only got one life, and you want to make sure it lasts for eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You know, getting it right about so many things in the end doesn't matter. Seriously, the amount of mistakes I've made in my life is breathtaking. But getting it right about Jesus, now that's, that's something you want to get right. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Uh, years ago, uh, and I mean, it's got to be years ago because I was 20, <laughs> uh, I, was, uh, I was on a bus, uh, bus uh, three days, two nights, and I arrived at my parents' place at six in the morning. Now, we're a farming family, so we were picking cu- they were picking cucumbers and washing them for the markets. And when I arrived, I helped my parents out. And when we finished, I said to Dad, Dad, I've got to go to sleep. I haven't had any sleep on the bus. He said, can you do me a favour? Can you spray the cabbages because there's pests in them that were right next to the house and uh, before you go to sleep? I said, oh, you're kidding. All right. So I got the pump. We, I sprayed it, put it away, went to bed, woke up at 2 that afternoon. I'm walking down the hallway. At the end of the hallway is the dining room, and the dining room window overlooks the cabbage patch that I just sprayed. Anyway, there's my dad scratching his head. I walk up next to him. I said, what's the matter, Dad? He said, take a look at these cabbages. Man, they look really sick. They they look wilted. I said, you're right, Dad. I wonder what the problem is. He said, said, I know it's humid, but I didn't think it was that humid. And uh, did we water them? Yeah, I think we watered them. And What's the problem? Anyway, he said to me, by the way, Ray, what kind of spray did you use? (laughs) Well, I've been farming since I was six. I said, spraying since I was seven. Dad, the gamut zone, without any hesitation. Now, I don't know what your father does when he gets upset. Mine turns a deep burgundy red colour, and he gets this white spit on the side of his mouth. You know you're in trouble. He says, you idiot, you used the wrong spray. I used a weedicide instead of a pesticide. Now, for those of you not from farming backgrounds, the thing about a weedicide is it can't tell the difference between a weed and a cabbage. It's going to kill everything in its side. I think I'm using a pesticide trying to kill the bugs, and all I'm doing is killing one cabbage after another. (laughs) I'm telling you, thousands of dollars down the drain. But hey, life goes on, hey? I'm able to laugh at it. You're able to laugh at it. And you know, even my dad was able to laugh at it. It took 20 years, but he was able to laugh at it. (laughs) But my cousin wasn't so fortunate. He was using very toxic spray, the kind of stuff that's not legal now. 
and he was masked up, gloved up, and he decided to have a break, and he took the gloves off. Didn't realise some of the spray went on his fingertips. Reached for a cigarette, put it in his mouth. Three hours later, he was found dead in his bed by his brother. Friends, there are some mistakes you can't afford to make. And getting it right about Jesus is a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. So I plead with you today, turn from your sins, from a life lived in rebellion against this king, and turn to Jesus. He truly is the king of kings, and he's come to save you, forgive you, and welcome you into God's kingdom. So let's break it down. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? Four things. Number one, when we pray your kingdom come, we're really praying, God, uh, you're praying that the gospel of the kingdom will go out to the nations. You're praying that the gospel of the kingdom will go out to the nations. Okay, you're aligning your prayers with God's plan. That's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I want your great commission to the church to not be the great omission. I want the commitment to make disciples of all nations to be true. I want it to happen, and I want to be part of the answer to that prayer. So Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus is not going to come back until all the nations, every nation, language, and tribe gets to hear about the good news that Jesus is king and there is a kingdom that offers forgiveness and life everlasting. Now, what a good king is that? He will not come back until we get on with the job. And the quicker we get onto it, the quicker he's going to come back. (laughs) Who wants him to come back? Yeah. And why do we want the good news of the kingdom to go out? What are you saying? What do you mean? I want my family and friends to follow Jesus because I want them to be in heaven with me. It's a stupid question, Raymond. (laughs) Well, that's a good reason. It's not the best reason, though. The reason why you want your family and your friends and the people of Dubai to come to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is so that they will treat God with the glory that he deserves. Amen? See, we've got to approach witnessing from God's point of view before we look at it from humans' point of view. Both are true, by the way, but witnessing happens. Why? Because worship doesn't. We need to nurture a jealousy. I want the God of the universe. I want the 8 billion people who call Earth home and Elon Musk who calls Mars home. Um, I want all of us, including Elon, to bow the knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when you're praying your kingdom come, you're saying, God, I want to have a jealousy, not just for the nations, but that the nations will actually treat you with the dignity that you deserve. You know, the good news of the kingdom. Another way of describing it, Jesus says, these are the keys of the kingdom. These are the keys that unlock the kingdom of darkness. These are the keys that open the kingdom of God. These are the kingdom, these are the keys that are in your hands. So don't neglect those keys, brothers and sisters. They are not to be kept in your back pocket for a rainy day. They are to be shared with others that others may be set free. If all we ever pray for is for work and health and relationships, and they're all important. The last three requests of the Lord's Prayer invite us to pray about those three things. But if that's all we're praying, we are not praying like Jesus. Jesus says, first and foremost, I want you to think, 
with me at the centre. I want you to pray so that when you're praying for your family and your friends, you're not just praying for their health and their jobs, you are praying that they will actually come to Jesus and treat God with the honour and glory that he deserves. Amen? Amen indeed. Secondly, when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying that God will raise up workers for the harvest, that God will raise up workers for the harvest. Jesus did the math, and it was a bad ratio. Harvest, massive. Workers, few. Matthew 9.38, Jesus says, oh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I was talking to someone last week from Fellowship who is in a really good job but has been thinking about coming onto our ministry apprenticeship program, and, which I highly commend for you all to consider at some point. And, uh, and it is a hard call because like, he's in a really good job and, uh, and he's balking. And I said to him, I said, brother, what's the only job Jesus ever got his disciples to pray about? I, I don't know, he says. I said, it's this prayer. And I took him to this. The harvest is plentiful, workers of you. Ask the Lord of the harvest. What? To send out workers into the harvest field. Like that really matters to Jesus. Why? Because his kingdom is advancing and advances as the nations hear about the gospel of the kingdom. And friends, can I say, again, you ought to see yourself as the answer to this prayer. In two ways. You might be the worker who goes, or you may be the one who is praying for that worker, encouraging that worker, and financially supporting that worker. But either way, we're all in it. (laughs) We're all in it. You know, as the kingdom advances, Jesus is building his church. It's the fruit of the kingdom advancing. So, for example, this morning we had seven people who were baptised. As we had last week, we had 11 baptised. What's that? 11 plus 7 is 18 people baptised in the last two. That is extraordinary. That as the good news of Jesus is being proclaimed, the kingdom is advancing, and the fruit of that is God is adding to the church. He's building his church. Thirdly, when we're praying, oh, Lord, your kingdom come, We're praying as Jesus builds his church. Whether that church, by the way, is fellowship with 3,000 people or whether it's 13 people in Bangladesh, it's just as glorious. And can I say, you know, if you go back, when you eventually, that day comes and you go back to your home country and you can't find a church that's big and, you know, got a great band out the front and all that, and you find yourself in in a home where there's like eight of you around God's word, Don't forget, that is as precious to Jesus as a large gathering of fellowship. Don't say, oh, I never found a church like fellowship, so I stopped going. No, no, no. The church of 10 is as precious as the church of 3,000. Please remember that. Well, Peter was asked, the 12 were asked. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter got up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow, he cracked it. Finally got it. You are the king of kings. Now watch this. This is what Jesus says in response in Matthew 16. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, that is your confession that I'm the Christ, I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. No matter how bad it gets for the church, and sometimes it's been really bad, no matter what the devil throws at the church, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church and nothing and no one's going to stand in the way. Amen? Amen. Of some things you can be sure. The only thing, the only thing that is guaranteed when Jesus returns is not your company or business. Not even Apple or Amazon or Google are guaranteed to be here when Jesus comes back. Uh, It's not your career or job. It may prove to be irrelevant in a decade from now or a century from now. It's not the 193 countries that make up the UN. None of them are guaranteed to be here when Jesus returns. But the one thing that is guaranteed to be here when Jesus returns is the church of the risen King Jesus, who will welcome the King when he comes as a bride with its bridegroom. So get with the plan, friends. God is extending his kingdom, and the fruit of that is he's building his church. You know, uh, are there any Africans in the house? Are there any Africans in the house? I thought there might have been one or two. (laughs) Beginning of last century, uh, approximately 9% of people in Africa confessed Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Fast forward a century, a bit over 100 years, and now we've got 44% of Africans confessing Jesus as Lord. That will be 1.1 billion people. Whoa. Now, how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Jesus made a promise 2,000 years ago. I am building my church and nothing and no one is going to stand in the way. Are there any Chinese in the congregation? (laughs) I know there's less of you, but let's give it a go. Are there any Chinese in the congregation? More than I thought. Excellent. We know the wonderful story that God is doing in China. Last 40 years, 80 million mainland Chinese have come to Christ. 80 million. It's made China the third biggest Christian country in the world under an atheist regime. God's got a sense of humour. <laughs> I love it. God King, God's kingdom is advancing, and the fruit of that is he's building his church. Now, to that, I'm going to make a big announcement. So I need a drum roll, and since we've got no drummer here, you'll need to do it either with your hands or your mouth. Drum roll, please. Nice and... Louder, 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 louder. Close enough. On August the 28th, Sunday, Fellowship will, I say start, will resume its 1 p.m. service. Amen. Now, it's the first of some big plans we're going to unveil in September, so hold on to your horses. When COVID came, many left Dubai. Our fellowship went from 4,000 to 2,000. Um, uh, we went online, so all the, all the services ended. Then, well, we're not over COVID yet, but we're, but we're well into it and over the worst of it, God willing. And so we've started coming back, adding more and more services. And now the last of the services that brings us back to where we were pre-COVID is the 1 p.m. service. I'm so excited about that. Now people have come back to Dubai, are coming back to or coming to Jesus and needing a church to fellowship. Now, this 11 p.m. service that I'm in uh, is jam-packed. We know that. If it's not here, it's in platinum, it's overflowing. We've got uh, people bringing their kids to the children's ministry and having been told what is the most grievous thing to be told, we're all full up. 
That's got to break your heart. You only have to hear that once and you know another service needs to start. Uh, and it happens repeatedly. Now, that's a good thing from one, hand, one point of view. It means that the church is growing. So can I ask you, as members of this service, which is the biggest service of all the services at, uh, at uh, Two Seasons and at Fellowship. And by the way, we're looking forward to another service being planted at Creekside as well because they're getting the same problem. But what I'm saying to you today is this. Will you consider being part of that 1 p.m. service so that you can leave a seat a space, a place for someone yet to come whom God has brought, that they may come under the sound hearing of God's word and give their life to Jesus, the King of Kings. I ask you to consider that really prayerfully. So when you're praying your kingdom come, one of the applications for you here at 11 p.m. is that you might actually want to go to 1 p.m., even if it's not your personal preference that you may want to serve in that service, that you may want to partake of that service, leaving a space here at 11 p.m. for others. Why? Why would we want to do that? It's inconvenient. Oh, that's right. Because I want the world to know that Jesus is worthy of glory and honour. That's why he's worth it. And friends, don't take, don't take a plan like that for granted. If you've been in fellowship for a while, you kind of forget how it often plays out around the world, you know. It is a privilege to have front row seats seeing so many wonderful things that God is doing. Remember what I just said? Seven people were baptised this morning. Eleven were baptised last week. That's 18 people in just two weeks who've moved from death to life, from being an enemy to a friend of God, from being a slave to a son and daughter in Christ Jesus. Wow! That we get to add that God is adding to our number, which means we're adding to our services more gospel communities. So don't be deceived. Don't be distracted. You know what Satan wants? He wants you to build your little kingdom so that you can make a name for yourself. That's a temptation for all of us, isn't it? And what he does is he always gets us to, he always gets us to use usually good things like work. Work is a good thing but we build it into our own kingdom for our own namesake or sport or even, dare I say, family. I always remember uh, my dear friend who's since passed away, but his wife, Amanda, after she had her sixth child, um, and uh, so she said, I was so grateful when a friend of hers said, now remember, Amanda, the kingdom of God is bigger than your family. She said that was very helpful because I had all, as a mother, all my focus was on my family and I forgot that actually God's, that, that our little family, or in her case, her big family, was part of something much bigger, the kingdom of God advancing and the building of his church. You know, Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He said, no thanks, I'm on about the kingdom of my father. And where did that take him? To the cross. Jesus is tempting you to build your kingdom. Sorry, Satan is tempting you to build your kingdom. And Jesus says, I want you to seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and know this, I've got your back. But it will require you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. The question for you is, will you take up that cross and follow him? And boy, is it worth it or what? Let me tell you how worth it is. Point four. Pray for King Jesus to come again. Pray for Jesus to come back to realise 
why it was so worth it to invest your time, your talents and your treasures in his kingdom so that we get to look forward to these words. Matthew 25, 23, this is the parable of the talents. Look how it climaxes. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things, with a few things, but I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, there's lots of things to do with rewards in heaven, but I don't think any of them is going to be better than entering into the joy of our master, knowing that all of, the, all of that which I invested, all of my time and talents and treasures that I invested in God's kingdom actually put a smile on the face of God that I get to enjoy for all eternity. That's as good as it gets, friends. And when Jesus comes back and we pray for him, come Lord Jesus. Remember, that's the last prayer in the Bible. Come Lord Jesus. When he comes, and he is coming, he, he told us what it's going to be like. He will come with his angels. He will come sitting on a glorious throne. He will come to judge. He will have before him all the nations of the world, past and present. They will all be gathered before the great judgment hall of Christ. And uh, he will separate the left from the right. And it won't be based on nations. God is not a racist. He won't be saying... I want the Slovenians and the Sri Lankans on my left, and I want the Zimbabweans and the uh, Ukrainians on my right. It won't work that way. Judgment will split right through every nation, right through every family, sometimes right through every marriage. And the dividing line will be this. Have you been ashamed of me? I'll be ashamed of you. The dividing line is where your life turned. Are you for Jesus or against him? Is he your king or isn't he? And alongside that is, not only is it your attitude to Jesus, it's your attitude to his people. For he says, when he anticipates the day of judgment, he says this, what you did to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And when you didn't do it, didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. So for those who have rejected Christ and his people, the shocking words will be outed. Matthew 25, verse 41. It's even hard to say it. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I've got to tell you, it is very loving of Jesus to tell us ahead of time what he's going to say to those who rejected him. And I tell you why it's loving, because you can do something about it now. You won't be able to do anything about it then. A thousand I'm sorry's then won't cut it with him. Ashamed of me now? I'll be ashamed of you then. And you can see here that Satan had a target on his back from the very beginning of his rebellion. What is hell, the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? Wow. He was heading for this from the moment he rebelled. And that's why you don't want to remain in the kingdom of darkness, do you? Because you don't want to share the same fate as the prince of this world, the evil one. So let me say again one more time. If you find yourself on the wrong side of Jesus now, you'll be on the wrong side of him then. So come to Jesus, come into the kingdom and enjoy life everlasting so that you can join us and hear those precious words from Matthew 25, 34. This is what Jesus is going to say on the day of judgment to you who follow Christ. Then the king will say to those in his right, in fact, let's say it together, come 
You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It's like Jesus has been saying, oh, this kingdom has been such a long time in coming and it's finally arrived in all its fullness when I come back. And you know what he's going to say? Gee, it's good to see you face to face. I've been so looking forward to this day when you can enter into the kingdom and enjoy the banquet in the new creation where there's no more crying or grief or pain. Amen? Amen. You take the second coming out from our story, we got no story. The coming of Jesus is what makes everything in life matter. No return of Christ, nothing matters because nothing lasts. Put that into the story, everything matters. My time, my treasures, my talent, everything. So where I locate them, becomes absolutely important because there's only one approval that I need and it's from the Father in heaven. Jesus' return makes everything worthwhile. Well, brothers and sisters, we're now going to turn to a time uh, where we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, sometimes called Holy Communion or the Eucharist, depending on what tradition you're from. So if you've not picked up the bread and the cup as you came in. Not too late. Just put up your hands, keep them up straight, and our beautiful welcomers will come and distribute the bread and the cup. And if you're online, you may want to reach out now for the bread and cup from your kitchen uh, if you're in your home right now. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, remember, keep your hands up if you haven't received the bread and cup and you want to participate. If you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we really respect the fact that you're not pretending. This meal is not for you, but gee, we're looking forward to the day when you will say yes to Jesus and can participate in this meal. Well, what is this meal that we're celebrating, the bread and the cup? What it is, is that we're proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. So there are many aspects to the Lord's Supper, but one of them is it's a reminder and a looking forward to the coming of the kingdom in full. And so in Matthew 26, 28, 29, we read these words. They're often skipped over, so I hope you enjoy them in light of the theme that we've been looking at. Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink of this, I will not drink from this cup of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The last supper, 2,000 years ago, would be the last time Jesus would drink from the cup in this age. The next time he would drink of it would be in the age to come with his disciples. And he's saying, I'm waiting for you to join me as we celebrate in the new kingdom. A day is coming when that kingdom will be fully arrived, when you and I will be sitting at the table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, where we'll be feasting and partying on for all eternity. It really will be perfect one day, perfect the next. At the head of the table will be the Lord Jesus in all his glory. And we won't ever have to look over our shoulder to see whether there's any more suffering coming our way, no more death, and definitely no more Satan. The Lord's Supper we share in is a, an anticipation of the heavenly banquet. I know there's a little bit of bread, a little bit of cup, but there won't be a little bit of bread there. It'll be feasting. More than enough. And we know that we will be drinking of the cup and eating of the bread in anticipation now of that heavenly feast. But how is this possible? We're all sinners. Not a day goes past where we haven't violated God's will and denied his rule in our life. I'll tell you why. Because he is the servant king. 
who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this bread that you carry in your hand, this unleavened bread, is a reminder to us that 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 king broke his body for us, that he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we will no longer live for ourselves, but live for him in the kingdom of God, forgiven. So brothers and sisters, take and eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. And as you take the cup, the cup that reminds us of the blood that was shed for you, the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins, the blood that provided full forgiveness, a clean slate, so that we're able to say with the writer of Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And we know that this cup points to that blood that dripped from that body on that cross 2,000 years ago, opening up the kingdom of God, that we may enter and be given every blessing in Christ Jesus. So drink the cup in remembrance that Christ's precious blood was shed for you. And oh, be thankful to the glory of God. I don't know about you, friends. I don't know about you, friends, but I, I am so encouraged to know that there is Jesus, looking in the kingdom, waiting for us to come to Him, where we will drink of the cup in that heavenly banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of this is about that. That's what someone said to me at, at morning tea, in the previous service. All of this, everything we do, is about that, where we will gather in his name and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for sending your son, the servant king, who gave you, who gave his life as a ransom for many. Wow. Thank you for giving us full forgiveness, complete pardon, allowing us entry into your kingdom. We ask you, Lord, that the good news of the kingdom will go out to all the nations. We want the world to know. We want our family and friends to know. We want the people of Dubai to know you. Jesus as King of Kings, and to treat you with the honour that you deserve. And so we say, raise up workers from amongst us, Lord, for the harvest is so big, workers are so few. And help us to know, Lord, that we too are the answer to this prayer. Empower us to invest our time, our talents, our treasures in your kingdom as you build your church. And Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, for we are so jealous to hear those words, the words that will fall off the lips of God himself. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.